Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are, Raider Nation, kicking off hour number three of the show. Raider Nation Radio 920 and helping us kick into hour number three is Jeff Howe from The Athletic. And, Jeff, we do appreciate you this afternoon, this evening. And I realized that you were traveling, and traveling is never easy. Believe me, I have all the stories that, man, one could desire because traveling is never very easy. I always come into some kind of road bump or something always happens to me. So I definitely appreciate you making some time for us uh, this afternoon. I loved your piece that you put out in The Athletic, how Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler's pass could pay off for the Raiders. Now, we know that they work together in New England, obviously. They work together in Denver as well. Champ Kelly was there in Denver as well with them. But just from their past experiences uh, and, and some past failures, how can that help the Raiders moving forward as they as they take on this new adventure? Uh, well, first, thank you. Uh, but you talk talking about their past. I mean, McDaniels has especially for the last, I would say, three, four years, because uh, I covered him in New England. I, was, I covered the Patriots for 12 years before taking on the NFL role last summer. So I had an up-close-and-personal viewpoint of this whole thing. He really took to heart the failures that happened in Denver, and he was public about that. And I was kind of curious, now that he's in place in Vegas, okay, so what have you put into practice? And it's, it's more about delegating. It's about you know, having, building relationships with people in the building, uh, it's about being comfortable in your own skin. You know, when he was in Denver, he was 32 years old. He was just coming off of nine years working for the Patriots. So all he knew was working for Bill Belichick. And he said that, you know, when he got stressed or, or times got tough, he kind of just deferred. It wasn't like he was trying to be Belichick or anything like that. Like, it, there, there's like this stigma of guys who go, you know, Belichick assistants who go to other places and, and ultimately fail. You know, there's this, this, Stereotype, and in some cases it's true. Uh, you know, this guy tried to be too much like Belichick, but McDaniel's made a lot of sense. He was like, "That's all I knew." So it's not like I was trying to be somebody else. I was just kind of deferring to the answers that I had heard for my entire coaching career. And now that he's you know 46 years old, uh, he's grown up a lot in life. He's got a lot more perspective. He's able to trust himself, be his own person. And he said, you know, a bunch of times when we were talking. I just want to be myself, and he feels like he's been doing that. And Ziegler has had that unique perspective of seeing him in both spots, too, or I guess all three, and even you know playing in college with him. Right. He's seen that growth as well. And I thought the cool thing about Ziegler's story is just you know the background of him trying to just figure it out professionally. You know, he was a college football player at John Carroll, and tried to get into coaching in some way. That wasn't really working out, so he ends up getting hired by McDaniels in Denver. And But, like, the 10 or so years before he got to Denver, it was like he was a history teacher in high school. He was a guidance counselor. You know, he at one point packed up and moved to Arizona without a job, just kind of hoping that he could wing it and figure it out. So because of all that, you know, he, he told me, I, I really I liked this quote. It just kind of showed, like, what his mentality is like. He's like, I'm not afraid to get fired. You know, if I, in five years from now, I'm a high school guidance counselor. That's okay. I'll figure it out uh, because he's just 
you know, he's taken this unorthodox path uh, to an incredible job. Talking right now with Jeff Howe from The Athletic, talking about his piece he put out about GM Dave Ziegler and also Josh B. Daniels. And one of the quotes that were in there from uh, the GM was, let's try to be great now. And that shows the uh, – uh, he's talking about the aggressive moves that he made for Devontae Adams, for Chandler Jones, you know, getting the extension for Crosby and Derek Carr, trying to be great right now and compete. How much do you think that that gives those guys in the locker room who they don't know about this new regime, but when they see them go out and make moves like that and they also hear stuff like that, let's try to be great right now how much confidence do you think that that gives the guys in the locker room yeah that is important for a couple different reasons you know number one taking a big swing and getting a guy like Devontae Adams you know less than 24 hours after the big deal for Chandler Jones you know that shows hey you know what like the guys in that locker room they made the playoffs last year they know that so you never really know when a new coach and GM combo come in are they going to tear this thing down are they going to start trading pieces and and rebuilding for future drafts and all of a sudden, right there, that's like, hey, they believe in us. You know, the players have to think that way because they just went out and they improved the roster and they sacrificed two high draft picks in order to get Adams. So that was big. But then on the other side of that, to get deals done for Crosby and Carr, you know, and Renfro, you know, that mm-hmm. just shows that not only do they believe in the guys that are there, but the guys who have been doing it the right way, the leaders in that locker room are now getting rewarded with bigger deals when they still had term left on their contract. So that shows. You know, they're not just coming in to do it with the guys that they see fit. You know, they're going to start putting pieces together from outside the organization. They're going to reward the guys who have been doing it the right way for the Raiders uh, for several years at that point. So twofold uh, level of confidence that they should have delivered to the locker room by those moves. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. And, and, you know, just to show that you could be a homegrown player and, and get that contract extension if you go out there and handle your business and do what you need to do. And, you know, as far as establishing a personality or establishing a team identity, how difficult is it for guys that leave New England, leave that Belichick tree to establish their own personality and own identity because that, that New England tree hovers so large? Yeah, it has been, and it's like, I mean, ultimately it, it hasn't truly worked because none of those guys, I guess you could say, have gone out and won a Super Bowl. Now, there have been levels of success. I mean, Bill O'Brien had a pretty good run in Houston before, you know, things kind of went off the rails there, and I mean, it's, so you can kind of like pick and choose different spots, like, you know, how do you define success? I mean, if you just want to define it as a Super Bowl, none of them have gotten to that point, and really none of them have had a whole lot of playoff success either. Uh, so it's it's interesting. It's uh, and again, there is that stigma because if somebody comes in and you know what, I'll bring it back to kind of another thing that McDaniel said was he wants to tell everybody the why. You know, if they're going to practice in the weather elements, why is this happening? If they're going to change something up at a pra- in a practice drill, why is this happening? And he's like, I don't have I don't have it in me to just go there and say, hey, this is what we're doing. Shut up and go do it. And he wants to explain it. And he kind of said, hey, I'm, you know, that's how things started with Belichick, you know, 22, 21 years ago in New England, you know, explaining why. And then all of a sudden you, you kind of develop a long, long, long track record of success. And, you know, maybe the whys aren't as necessary when you're a guy like Belichick. But for a new coach, uh, you have to explain these things because you have to get the trust of the locker room that, you know, they're, they're going to follow you. They have to be able to follow you. 
you know, it's funny that you mentioned the why because we've been seeing that out at training camp. We've been seeing a lot of teaching. We've been seeing coaching, but we've also been seeing a lot of teaching, and that goes back to the why. And it even I even asked uh, Coach McDaniels last week or two weeks ago at this point now about, you know, learning how not to lose before you are coached up to be able to win and how important that is. And he had a very detailed answer. He thought I was trying to trip him up at first, but then he gave a very detailed answer about, You've got to be able to do the small stuff, the the fundamental stuff. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. You can't turn the ball over, or you're not going to win games. That that all goes back to that why that you're talking about. Oh, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the Patriots locker room over the years, uh, you know, quietly, players would be like, look, all we have to do is not lose. Because more often than not, that other team is going to do something that's going to make them lose. And when you – I mean, if you're watching the Patriots week after week like I have been for – uh, well, I mean, I grew up in the area, so really the entire Belichick uh, <laughs> tenure. I've seen, uh, you know, what feels like a million examples of, like, maybe the Patriots are sleepwalking in a game, but this other team just choked, you know, or gave just enough leeway for Tom Brady to, you know, to beat him in the final couple minutes or whatever. But that was what it was. Like, when the Patriots were at their best, they never did anything that would force themselves to lose a game. You know, they would either go out and win it, or that other team would eventually make the mistake that cost them uh, their own chance to win. Talking right now with Jeff Howe from The Athletic here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man demond has got one for you. Yeah, Jeff, in the piece, McDaniels was quoted as saying, when I was younger, I was so intent on trying to fix everything. So what are some of those things that he's, I'm going to say, pulled back a little bit on? Is that maybe giving assistants more free reign to do what they need to do? What are some of the things that he's not trying to fix all on his own now? Yeah, that's a good question uh, because, I mean, you can – you could probably point to a bunch of different examples uh, with Denver. I mean, he was, you know, he made some mistakes in terms of personnel. He had a little personnel power there, too, even though he wasn't necessarily the GM. You know, he, he got into, or he didn't really see eye to eye with Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall, traded both of those guys. I mean, he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. I mean, those were some big mistakes. But I think it's, it was more about the terms of, like, the day-to-day. And they had some good coaches on that Denver staff, you know, 12-plus years ago or 12 years ago. It was just like he didn't have a lot of prior professional experience with those coaches. So he didn't trust himself to lean on those coaches and delegate the way that he had to. You know, he came to, to – he goes to Vegas this offseason. He takes a pile of guys that he's worked with in the past in New England, and now he knows that he can trust them so he can feel comfortable. Like, I don't have to run – the special teams period in this practice, or I don't have to worry about, you know, X, Y, and Z. I can just concentrate on being the head coach and doing what I have to do as opposed to just trying to fix everything himself. Because, again, I think it kind of goes back to, like, when you're stressed, you just sort of try to force yourself to to dig yourself out of that hole, even though, you, you know, you need other people to help you. I've been really impressed with GM Dave Ziegler, just seeing him at training camp every day. He's so involved, and not involved in an intrusive way, but he's around the field. Uh, if a ball goes flying over this way, he'll go grab it. Somebody drops a towel, he'll go grab it. He's, he's intense and tight. His eyes are all on the field watching the players and everything. But he's just been there, and it's almost like he's been available to make sure he's, his eyes are all over the field. One of the quotes in your piece was that he has in his office, win, W-I-N, What's important now? Uh, talk about what that means and how important that is to, to GM Dave Ziegler. Yeah, that was well, two things there. I'll, I'll start off with like the presence of practice. That, that is definitely a Patriots thing. Scott Pioli did that in the 2000s. Nick Casario did that. To the point where, I mean, Nick Casario is a college quarterback, and 
at John Carroll with McDaniels and Ziegler. And, you know, Casario would get in there and, and try to throw passes, and then Tom Brady would make fun of his awful throwing motion any chance he could. So there's, there's a lot of that to it. But, like, the, the reason why those guys and Ziegler is doing that in, in Vegas is because he wants to be able to see everything. And he needs to know, all right, what do I need to do personnel-wise in order to help this team get better? Are there additions that need to be made? Or just in terms of, like, roster cuts coming down the pike and that sort of stuff. Uh, when you talk about what's important now, I thought it was really interesting the way that he opened up about his last couple of years in New England when he started getting promoted. And he was Nick Casario's assistant director of player personnel in 2020 and then took over the director of player personnel job, which is essentially the GM job without the title uh, in New England because Belichick is, you know, he's never had a, a quote unquote GM. But the amount of responsibilities that he had, you know, he was used to just being either on the college side or on the pro side. So his days were, I guess, a little more compact. He, he could wake up at whatever hour in the morning and write down a list of things that he was going to do every day, and he would check off every single one of those boxes a whole lot more often than not. Then when you get into the, you know, the director or assistant director of player personnel, and you've got a lot of challenges coming your way. It could be trades. It could be contract discussions. It could be... Whatever happens, you know, you're leading the, the, the personnel department, and you're not always going to be able to go down that list. So it was prior, and he said he would get frustrated because he thought that he basically wasn't doing enough because he wasn't getting through the list the way that he wanted to. So he kind of, he learned how to, like, take a step back and say, hey, it's okay that, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go A, B, C, D, E today, but I might go A, G, Z, and that's still a really productive day. And he kind of had to teach himself how to be a little more mentally tough in that capacity. So I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because that's not something that you really consider uh, that these guys go through, especially on the front office side, because we don't see them. I mean, we judge players, we judge coaches because we can see them practice at this time of year. We can see the games on Sundays in the fall. Uh, but you don't really necessarily see what these guys in the front office are doing, uh, not nearly to that extent. So him kind of opening up and, and, and sharing that was really cool, I thought. Yeah, Jeff, you've been from New England and you've been covering the team for so such a long time. Was there ever a sense from the media there that these two guys wanted to pair up, no matter who got the job first, being GM or head coach, that they would still want to work together in their next venture once they left the Patriots? Uh, you knew the, the backstory. You knew that they were close. So, yeah, but it's also like, you know, Dave did a really good job, uh, especially the year that he was the director of player personnel. So it wasn't like I had heard things about him, you know, several years back. And, like, he joined the Patriots in 2013. So it certainly wasn't that early. But you start to hear rumblings. It's like, hey, the Patriots have a really talented guy working his way up. You just never know how quick that rise is going to be. I think when they really – did a great job in free agency and with the draft last year it was like okay he's going to start getting some gm opportunities and it was like is it going to happen right now and, and you knew with mcdaniels uh especially you know i wrote something i think it was like at the end of the regular season or right going into the playoffs right around that time january ish about like why mcdaniels has worked himself into being a head coaching candidate and you know learning from the mistakes that he's made and all that stuff and it ended up being some some good foreshadowing, or the timing, I guess, was fortuitous because he got hired at Vegas. But, like, you didn't necessarily know if it was going to be a package deal. You also don't know how, you know, some of these teams or ownership is going to feel about bringing in, 
you know, or double dipping on Patriots employees because of what we talked about, you know, the, the general, I guess, lack of success of people coming from the Belichick tree. But I'll tell you, the, the combination, the Raiders should be really excited. Or Raiders fans should be really excited. I, I think those two guys are incredibly smart. They're off to a tremendous start together. Uh, McDaniels can really coach. He really knows the off. He knows offenses. Uh, he knows strategy. Uh, they have a quarterback in place. And then watching Ziegler uh, really over the last couple of years, maybe even going back three years when he took more of the spotlight on, he knows what he's doing. And I, I think it's become evident very quickly. Yeah, no, it does. It feels like, and I've been saying it for a long time, and I, I, I caution not to get too uh, over-pumped up about it because I don't want Raider fans to think that I'm just trying to blow smoke and try to uh, get them psyched up. But it feels like being there at camp every day that this team is definitely headed in the right direction. They have the right guys in charge to lead lead the way, you know, in Joshua Daniels, Dave Ziegler, Champ Kelly and company. Uh, Jeff, final question for you before we let you go. I wanted to ask you about some of the assistants and just, I mean, you've been able to see them, guys like Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator. He was in New England for a while. Uh, of course, Mick Lombardi was in New England. Uh, Carmen Brasillo, the offensive line coach, was in New England. Uh, what do you think about just the assistants and, and their role that they're going to have this year with the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, a, a lot of those guys are sort of in the up-and-coming category. But, you know, I think Lombardi uh, is, is well-respected. And I thought it was interesting that the Patriots, I, I don't know if it was necessarily allowed him to leave or, or whatever. That was more of a surprising departure. But I'll stick with Graham. Patrick Graham is incredibly smart. I mean, that guy, he knows how to coach defense, and he knows scheme. And I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a better look at becoming a head coach uh, at this point. But he's a, he's a really good defensive coach. And, you know, the, I think that that's the bigger question mark, the Raiders' defense, and just, you know, how high is their ceiling, and, you know, especially against that division. Uh, it's going to be, you know, it's a tough job. I'm not saying he's all of a sudden going to turn them into a top five or a top ten defense. Like, I don't know that. But I know Patrick Graham is an incredibly smart defensive coach. And, you know, I, I think, you know, that's another solid one that they have in place. I like it. I, do. I really do. I think that, you know, the, 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 the trajectory is definitely going forward and up uh, with the silver and black under this regime and these coaches that they have in place. Well, Jeff, fantastic stuff, my man. I do appreciate you making some time for us. Your piece on The Athletic, how Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler's pass could pay off for the Raiders. I encourage everyone to check it out. Do you have anything else that's uh, coming out on The Athletic we need to look out for? Uh, I've just been traveling all over the country. I can't remember what city I'm in. Uh, I'm in Chicago right now. Um, but, you know, I, I had what something that I was excited about. I mean, the, the Ziegler-McDaniel story, I, I really enjoy putting that together. Yeah. Uh, and that came out a couple of days after I wrote something about Sean McVay, after spending time with him and the Rams that I really liked. Uh, so that was last week. And then, you know, had some Trey Lance stuff yesterday. I think that's a really interesting story about his offseason and, and how much it's wild to think, but like a broken finger in the summer completely derailed his entire season and off season. And I kind of explained why and the process that it took to get him recalibrated. And then this week, you know, just sort of flying by the seat of my pants and seeing what happens. <laughs> well, sometimes that's how it's got to be, my man. And I understand when you're traveling, it can get pretty, pretty crazy. So uh, congratulations on all that you're doing. And that, that piece uh, you should be very proud of. That was a really good piece out on The Athletics. So uh, thank you so much, and thanks for making some time for me. Uh, we appreciate you. Safe travels, and we'll talk soon.
I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. All right, there he goes. Jeff Howe from The Athletic does a fantastic job. And, again, I encourage everyone to go uh, check out that piece. And, and there are some really incredible writers on The Athletic. You know, obviously, uh, Vic Tafer and Tashawn, we, you know, we talk to them all the time. And, you know, I'm with them all the time in the media room. But uh, that whole roster, man, Ted Nguyen, we have him on the show as well. And there's just plenty up and down that roster of really good writers. And Jeff Howe is definitely one of them. So if you have a chance, check out that piece, How Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler's Past Could Pay Off for the Raiders and that was just a really good preview that he gave us the last I don't know 20 minutes or so so uh, just go ahead and check that out 421's the time we definitely appreciate Jeff Howe and we appreciate you we'll hear from you next 702-365-9200 Salmonash text line 69187 keyword R&R by the way Hawaii is now up 10-3 to over Northern California they hit a grand slam and then another home run they're out there putting on the whooping sticks Big Al must be around my name is Big Al and I hit dingers <laughs> this is Raider Nation Radio 920 Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. 425 is the time here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Damon Cotton, he's in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studio watching. I was watching uh, Hawaii against Northern California, but another dinger by Hawaii ended the game. It was 13-3. My man for Northern Cali gave up 10 runs in one inning off about three different home runs. And it was kind of cold, DeMond. You even mentioned it in the commercial break. You're like, man, they didn't have to show that kid on the TV crying. I mean, he just got shelled, and it's like the camera went right in on him like, hey, how's he feeling? You know how he's feeling. He's feeling bad. <laughs> I mean, damn, he just gave up three home, like monster home runs too. And then it, the worst part about it, he's putting his face in the glove as the tears are coming. He like he knows it. He let the team down, and it's just that moment's captured forever. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. Like that's fair game when it's a college athlete, or hell, even high school. That's fine. You know, you can capture the images of that. But they got the camera all up in my man's face right when he just gave up his third home run. Hawaii is celebrating. He's walking off the field. They had to call the mercy rule on him, and all of a sudden they got the camera in his grill. Like, hey, let's check in on this guy. How's he feeling? Man, you know how he's feeling. He's feeling bad. Just gave up all these runs. So now we're watching uh, Great Lakes region, double elimination, watching Indiana and Kentucky in the bottom of the first. Indiana's up 3-0. to zero. And I'm telling you, I'm going to give you updates on Little League World Series like every, every time I can get a chance. I don't know why I'm so intrigued by Little League World Series, but I am. It's so fun to watch. And I promise you when it gets down to the, the very end and someone's trying to win the whole damn thing, I'm going to be so locked in on it. Like it's, it's, I don't know why. But it's just one of those things. And I didn't even play Little League that long. I played Little League long enough to know that my uh, all-star coach didn't like me. That was, <laughs> that's how long I played. That was my, uh, my first year in baseball, and then I played one more year after that, and, and then I was a done deal. Now, if I had known what I know now about baseball, maybe I had tried to stick it out a little bit longer because, man, these guys, these cats are turning down $440 million contracts. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're so good that you can turn down $440 million, man, you are you are a next level dude. You get all my respect. <laughs> and he's gonna get paid. Well, maybe not even more annual. You know, yearly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the years. Oh, yeah. I think that was the big holdup. He just didn't want all those years. Well, I, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want all those years either. But except for in baseball, you're gonna get paid. Like it doesn't matter if you play. I mean, hell, Bobby Bonilla still gets a check, right? Another kid <laughs> just got hit by a pitch. Oh, see, I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. That's this is like the theme today. Everyone's getting hit by a pitch. These are some big boys, too, by the way. These cats don't look like no youngsters, man. 
this guy looks like he's a he's like a, a, a maybe a junior hire that's on his way to being a junior, right? I mean, he don't look like he's just like skipped everything. The one who got hit by the pitch? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a big boy. Yeah. I mean, even the pitcher, he's tall. You know, this guy, look, that's, that dude is a tall pitcher. He's not as big as the guy that just got drilled, but this pitcher ain't no joke, man. These guys, yeah, they, they kind of got some size on them. Man, they're all bigger than you now, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Height-wise, maybe. I mean, yeah, 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 for sure. I'll give him that. No, no, for sure. You but got, look you, at 25. He got hit by that pitch, didn't even try to run the second. <laughs> <laughs> Easy double play. <laughs> no, the 13 beat it out. 13 beat it out. Kentucky, that's the way to show that hustle, Kentucky. I like that. Oh, man, I'm having a lot of fun, with the obviously, with the Little League World Series. Again, Indiana's up right now currently 3-0, to zero, bottom of the first. I did want you to hear from Josh McDaniels. He met with us this morning about 8.30, 8.45 uh, Pacific Standard Time, of course, uh, very early before practice. And so we were all out there to, to hear from him. And obviously one of the big topics of discussion has been Josh Jacobs ever since Thursday, since he – played in the Hall of Fame game, and everyone thought, how could you do that? Even though if you go back and you look at the Patriots, what they've done, and many people pointed this out even before I even noticed it, was that starters played in New England. You know, they didn't play all the time, but they played. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if some starters play this week against the, uh, against the Minnesota Vikings in the preseason game. I don't know how many of them will play, but I would not be shocked at all to hear about some starters playing. So one of the th- first things he addressed today was about the future of Josh Jacobs with the team. You know, JJ is a guy that obviously we uh, we know what he's done. Um, and as I said after the game, you know, I, I really do believe that the backs in in any you know situation they don't really get to simulate what's going to happen during the course of the regular season. And and so you know, giving them an opportunity to actually get tackled, take care of the football. Um, you know, and, and get acclimated to a new system, quite honestly, um, you know, I think is is the goal. And each man's different. Like I said, we, you know, chose to not play a few guys. There was a, a, a number of guys that couldn't play based on, you know, just coming back from something or, um, you know, rehabbing certain things. Um, but, you know, Andre James played three series as our starting center, and there was a purpose for that, you know, um, communication with the quarterbacks, Really starting to do the do the things on the line of scrimmage with the guys on either side of them, uh, and do it in a game setting when we didn't know what what was coming. You know, you saw a lot of the linemen play most of the first half that started the game again. Um, so you know, like I said, we'll try to do what's best for the team. Um, we felt like that was a good thing, a good opportunity for all our backs that played. Um, I, we have a lot of confidence in JJ and, you know, he did well with his opportunities, which we, which we hoped he would. And he did. Um, but no, that has, we have no desire to do that at all. There you go. No desire to do that at all. has to do with trading Josh Jacobs. And that conversation got out. A lot of people were talking about it. A lot of people were speculating on it. Uh, there was a Josh Jacobs Instagram uh, account apparently that I don't, I guess was fake. That's what I've been told is it was fake. And it said like, it's been real RN, and then it had an emoji uh, and a peace sign or whatever. It looked like it basically looked like Josh Jacobs was saying bye. I remember someone tweeted that at me, and I think tweeted it at Vinny as well on Saturday. And I hadn't seen it. I don't have Instagram. I'll be the first to tell everybody I do not have Instagram. So I, I, I have enough problems with the cesspool that is Twitter, let alone have Instagram as well. So uh, I didn't see it, but someone tweeted it at me, and I thought, well, all right, well, maybe he knows something. So uh, multiple outlets have reported that. Um, you know, Josh Jacobs' agent had said that they weren't 
traded him either. And then you hear right there from the head coach, Josh McDaniels, that they have no desire to do that. And, again, we talked to Ed Graney in the first hour of the show. Um, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense anyway. He's on the last year of his deal. It's pretty reasonable, about $2 million. You know what Josh Jacobs brings to the table. That's the other thing. Everyone's talking about, well, they had to showcase him. For what? Everyone knows what Josh Jacobs is capable of doing, right? I mean, <laughs> we've seen it firsthand. So even if they were trying to move on from him, there's really no reason to showcase him and then take the chance of him getting hurt because everyone kind of knows who Josh Jacobs is already. So that was one thing. But they have an opportunity, this offense does, to be really special. I would think that you'd want to do it with your best running back. You know, especially a running back that for the first time in his career, I talk about Derek Carr all the time, how this is the first time in his career he's had that big-time difference maker on the outside as far as a wide receiver goes. I know someone's going to say Darren Waller. I get it, but he's not a wide receiver. He's a tight end. Might be a wide receiver in a tight end's body, but he's not technically a wide receiver. This is the best wide receiver Derek Carr's ever played with, Devontae Adams. Well, Josh Jacobs is going to have the best opportunity this year to run without a loaded box because of those weapons that are outside in Darren Waller, in Devontae Adams, in Hunter Renfro. You can't load the box and say, okay, well, we're going to stop the run. Because if you decide to stop the run, that's fine. (laughs) The Raiders' offensive uh, passing game will kill you straight up. So, I mean, this is going to be an opportunity. You want to talk about some big-time yardage, even though I do believe it's going to be running back by committee. You know, just like we've seen in New England, I think that Josh Jacobs is going to get the majority of the snaps. Someone asked me this morning, oh, Tyler Bischoff, when I was on ESPN Las Vegas, asked me this morning, what do I think the, the breakdown of the, of the snaps are going to be as far as the running backs? And I said, well, if I'm looking at just Josh Jacobs, Zamir White, and Brandon Bolden, I'm looking at 50-30-20. That's just kind of how I broke it down. 50% of the snaps will go to Jacobs, 30 go to Zamir White, 20 go to Brandon Bolden. That's that's if I'm just looking at those three. If those three are the only ones involved in the mix, that's how I break it down. So I think Josh Jacobs will still get the majority of the carries. And you know what? He could probably do more with less, you know, just because he'll have uh, a cleaner box to be able to run through. And if the offensive line is worth the salt, and they were at the end of the year last year, and then when they went on that four-game winning streak, they were able to open up a bunch of holes, and that running game really helped the Raiders win those games that they needed to win to get to the playoffs. If they could do just that good, if not better, then I don't see why Josh Jacobs couldn't have a real big season. If you go back and look at the numbers he had in the last four games of the season, that was the best stretch of the season he had in 2021 was those last four games. Yeah, and also I listened to you on the press box earlier this morning as well, and one of the things that Tyler was trying to point out is that maybe Josh Jacobs needs to be the one that's asking for a trade because Kareem Hunt is doing the same over in Cleveland about wanting out because Josh Jacobs just isn't built like that. He's not going to ask for a trade from the team, and it just wouldn't make sense for the Raiders to trade him because he said, hey, man, if they off- if someone offered them a third-round pick, why would the Raiders do that? If you're in win-now mode, right. even if you do think that you have some good running backs that are going to be able to carry the load running back by committee, you wouldn't get rid of the best player at the position, though. Right, even, exactly. Even if the running back by committee is where the league's going, there's still a number one all the time. Right. And why get rid of that number one option? Big facts right there. Big facts. And look, if the Raiders decide to move on at the end of the season and somebody signs them as a free agent, they can probably get a third-round pick and a compensatory pick. And that's something Vinny's pointed out many times, that the New England Patriots, they live by the compensatory picks. It's very rare that we see Raider Nation always gets up in arms. It's like, how come the Raiders didn't get a comp pick? I guarantee you one thing, Raider Nation, you're going to start seeing comp picks. For this team, you're going to start seeing some comp picks. As long as Dave Ziegler and Champ Kelly are running things in the front office, there's going to be some comp picks running around for the silver and black. So that's always something to look forward to. I think those picks could be valuable. And for anyone who thinks that they can't be valuable, just look at Dallas. You know who their starting quarterback is? A fourth-round compensatory pick. 
Dak Prescott. He was picked in the fourth round with a compensatory pick. So, yeah, those picks could be very valuable. And now that they're tradable too, even more valuable. So just kind of put that in your back pocket and hold on to that. Now, something else that I think a lot of us have talked about here on the show is the special teams unit. A lot of folks said there's concern when it comes to the special teams unit. Knowing that Rich Passaccia was a special teams coach when he was with the Raiders, he's now in Green Bay because Green Bay stunk when it came to special teams, so they went and hired Rich Passaccia. think that that's a big-time hire for them. And I think there's questions on how this special teams unit's going to adapt, even though A.J. Cole's there, and he has he's a great punter. And, of course, Daniel Carlson is a great kicker. Trent Sieg does a great job when it comes to the long snap. I mean, they have a really good special teams unit, but they're still concerned until you see it with Coach McMahon coming over from the Denver Broncos. And what did we see on Thursday night? A big-time punt return for a, a touchdown. And it was called back, but it was only called back because of holding, which was obvious. It was obvious holding penalty. But it was still a little concerning that the first game out, you see a punt return for a touchdown. So Josh McDaniels talked about the problems on that big punt return. That's what I'm saying. You know, and, and again, in, in things like that, it's not just the first group that's out there. You know, because that happened to be, you know, later in the game, it's got to be every man, you know, and, and again, on our team, you never know who's going to end up out there. You only take 46 to the game, um, you know, and it may not be the, the, the guys that, that started the game because of injury or what have you. So our entire team, whether it's special teams, offense or defense, has to understand the big picture. And, you know, we had poor lane coverage on that on that particular kick and it hurt us, you know, and we were fortunate that it got called back. But. Um, you know, again, like I said, those are great opportunities now. You know, we, we learned the hard way uh, what we can't do and what we need to fix, and um, hopefully we'll do that this week. So there you go. There you hear him talking about the special teams unit. And I'll say that for me, that is an area of that game that I saw on Thursday, and I said, eh, it's a little, little concerning right there. I mean, it really is. They, not only do you want to have a great punter, not only do you want to have a great kicker, but you also want to make sure you have really good cover skills. And so they've got to make sure that they maintain that. I think that the Raiders have done a really good job as far as punt and kick, uh, kickoff coverage uh, over the past few years, but they've got to maintain that. That could be one of those elements of the game that you don't really pay attention to the box score or the hidden yardage. You know, a lot of times we call that hidden yardage uh, where it depends on how the, the special teams unit, where they allow a team to get, where they start their drives at. You know, all, all that goes into some, some stats that, that could be, you know, killers. You know, if, if the team, if opposing teams start off with really good field position all the time after a kick return, punt return, whatever the case may be, that could become problematic. So they've got to definitely make sure they shore that up. Uh, now, one of the areas of concern that we wanted to make sure to ask about today when we met with Josh McDaniels was about Darren Waller and Chandler Jones. Both guys have been out for a few. Chandler Jones, more games he, or more practices he had been out than Darren Waller. Jones returned today. Darren Waller did not. But uh, here was just an update overall about the guys that are currently out. Everybody's making progress. You know, they're all they're all working really hard. Um, and like I said, there, there's there's a handful of them that are just continuing to grind away in the training room and rehab. And uh, they'll be out there as soon as they're ready to go. And hopefully that will be sooner rather than later for some of them. So there you go. Very short, sweet, to the point. Nothing specific. You know, that was that was the one thing. Uh, I forget who asked the question about the, the guys that were out, but I was hoping that it would be more specific, like, hey, is Chandler Jones back? Is Darren Waller back? And just because if not, then it could be answered the way that head coach Josh McDaniels answered it, right? And so it wouldn't really be uh, that appropriate to go ahead and, and follow up and say, okay, so is Darren Waller back? Is Chandler Jones back? Because he basically just answered it without giving you a, you know, a clear-cut 
answers. So uh, I thought that the, the wording wasn't probably the way it should have been, but it happened. So that was an update. And then there you go. Uh, again, going back to my appearance on the press box, Tyler asked me, do you expect to see Chandler Jones or Darren Waller? I said, nope. <laughs> you know, I just I, I just didn't. I didn't get that feeling from that answer that Chandler Jones or Darren Waller would be out there. And then lo and behold, I walk into the indoor and Chandler Jones is in there practicing. So uh, shows you shows you how much I knew from from reading that answer from head coach Josh McDaniels. That's why I think it would have been better if it had been just more specific to those two guys in particular. Uh, a couple more sound bites for you, real quick, from head coach Josh McDaniels' media uh, conference or press conference that he had earlier today. And uh, how about the quarterback that started the game for the Raiders on Thursday? I expect him to start the game on. On Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings, that's Jarrett Stidham. Uh, what does he like about Jarrett? Great kid, um, smart, uh, works hard at the game. Um, you know, hasn't had a tremendous number of opportunities. You know, just based on the circumstances that he came in under, um, and, and dealt with an injury. You know, a, a year and a half ago that you know kind of slowed him down a little bit. Um, but you know, he's healthy now, um, and again understands what he's trying to do. Ran the offense pretty efficiently the other night. Uh, took care of the ball, um, you know, made some plays with his legs. Uh, so, again, he's just uh, – to me, I see him as a young player who's continuing to develop and improve, you know. Uh, we have not reached, you know, his peak yet, you know. And we have a lot of players on our team I'd say that about, but uh, certainly Jarrett is one of them. So there you go. And I like what I see from Jarrett. You know, he had a couple of days that were really rough, in my opinion, uh, in inconsistent, but I think he bounced back in a pretty good way. And uh, right now he looks like a really good backup. I mean, he does. He looks like he could really be a good backup that has a very good understanding of the offense. He looks very comfortable. Uh, he came out and met with us today uh, after practice, and he just looks very comfortable and relaxed. And not saying that he's cruising, because he's not by any means. I mean, he's out there working his tail off. Uh, matter of fact, today is his birthday, and he said that, you know, he, he doesn't really get to do anything with his birthday because it's during football. And so he's always uh, working, 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 and that's what he was going to be doing again today. But I just, I just like I like what he's showing right now, and he has a very strong arm. You'll never question his arm. Every once in a while, you know, he'll, he'll throw a ball, and he'll either get picked or it just won't go where it's supposed to go, and you'll wonder, man, what happened with that pass? But you can see the strength in his arm, and you can see the understanding of the offense that he does have. So that's obviously very encouraging. So the final soundbite that I want you to hear from uh, head coach Josh McDaniels has to do with this Sunday's game against the Vikings. Uh, how does he approach the game? It's definitely the second one for us. Meaning, meaning we're not going to, you know, go backwards and and treat it like we haven't, you know, done anything. We learned a lot uh, about what we can fix and get better at um, in Canton the other night. And so, I think for us, like I said from the very beginning, when we learned we had that game, we were going to try to take advantage of all four. Um, maybe not the same way, you know, in terms of how we how we utilize them, what we try to put the focus and emphasis on, uh, who plays, who doesn't play, you know, how we're going to, you know, navigate that, all those decisions. We'll try to do what's right for our team, which, you know, there's a, a number of things that we can do differently, um, you know, play it a different way, et cetera. But uh, we're definitely going to look at it for, for what it is, which is a great opportunity for us to make progress uh, from week one to, to week two. And – Low-key, let it be known, I feel like having four preseason games this year is really an advantage for the Raiders. I know no team likes to have four preseason games. I get it. You know, I know fans don't want to see four preseason games because you just want to get to the regular season. But I do low-key think that it's an advantage for the Raiders to have those four pre -games, uh, pre, uh, preseason games just so they can all get on the same page. And like he said, it's definitely, you know, week two for us. You know, because the question was basically asked to him, hey, uh, do you treat that Hall of Fame game is game zero, and then this is week one. And he's like, no, this is week two. You know, we had a week of practice. We played a game already. 
you know, now we have to build off of that. And that's that I, I think is encouraging. I think that that's going to help the Raiders in the long run really help put this thing together. And so I'm excited to see what we're going to see. And the one thing before we take a break, the one thing that I really took away from his presser today, and we don't have to hear the sound on it, but it's just like because he said it multiple times in different forms. Everything this team does and everything this staff does is very detail-oriented. And what I mean by that is, you know, he was talking about the, the night before the, the, uh, the Hall of Fame game and exactly what they did and the ritual, the routine that they went through and establishing that routine early, you know. And then this week he's uh, looking forward to the home game because this is how you'd, you'd be at a home game. This is what time you need to leave your house to get to the game at a certain time and make sure that the walkthrough is on time. And we have the game set at 125 because that's how a lot of our uh, home games are going to be. They're going to be at 125. So we want to establish a routine right now. So it's like he's putting that attention and that emphasis on all the minor details right now, things that you might not think are even that big a deal. Just like I said, having a preseason game at the time that they would have a regular season game at Allegiant Stadium because they want to get used to getting in that routine and getting in, you know, waking up and getting in the car at a certain time and headed to the stadium at a certain time and having the, you know, pregame meal at the same time. And just everything is routine, routine, routine. And he even mentioned that that weather delay that happened on Thursday kind of messed up their routine. They all wanted to be on the field at a certain time, a certain amount of time before kickoff, wanted to be going through their certain drills uh, before the game at a certain time. Like everything was detail-oriented. And that's what I think is very important because it's not, it's not like being – nitpicky and it's not being like the 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 guy who's just hovering over everyone say do this do this but it's just establishing like guys this is what we do and this is how we do it and this is when we do it and if you start them now on that and then all of a sudden by the time you get to the regular season it's second nature right it's just like you don't even think about it you just do it your body clock is already set like for example when I uh, when I wake up in the morning I normally wake up at 5 30 I have my alarm set just in case but 99% of the time, I don't have to wait until my alarm goes off, right? I just wake up because I know my body clock tells me 5.30 it is and I'm up. Now, coming back from Cleveland <laughs> and having those off times and not having the right proper amount of sleep and all that good stuff, I made sure that my alarm was set today. And even then, I still woke up without the alarm. But, you know, it's just one of those things. Once your body clock is set, you don't have to have all the subtle reminders. You just do it. That's what he's trying to establish, and I think that's very important for the success of this team moving forward. 4.47 is the time. We'll come back. We'll close out the show. This Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Big week for us. Obviously, coming off of the first preseason game, we saw a lot of things that uh, you know we can do better, we can fix and improve, and um, you know the length of time between preseason game number one and preseason game number two for us gives us um, an opportunity to really kind of spend a lot of quality time this week doing that and get a few padded practices in here this week. So excited to get to work again. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Got to give you an update on the Little League World Series going on right now. Maryland is up 3-0 on Washington, D.C. in the bottom of the second. The game that we were watching before this uh, actually, is in a weather delay. That sucks. This one's a Little League World Series Mid-Atlantic Region Elimination Game. So, uh, I don't know what team is up right now. Guess it would be kind of cool to know that, but I don't. But Maryland right now is winning. So, another game going on right now. Um, I love these Little League World Series. Hawaii represented in a major way. My man Aaron hit me up. was like, Hawaii representing, baby. Yeah, Aaron's from Hawaii. <laughs> so, there you go. 
<laughs> no bias there. My man, Passionate Raider, hit me up. Said he loves the Little League World Series as well. So, for anyone who thought I was just talking, yeah, I'm, I know what I'm talking about, man. Little League World Series is awesome. But, yeah, it's 3 uh, nothing Maryland right now. I uh, got a few text messages I wanted to get to before we wrap up the show. 69187, keyword R&R. It's been a fun day of shows, fun day being out at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Uh, I'm assuming that we're going to be back out there tomorrow. We have not got our update as far as uh, our media schedule yet for Tuesday or the rest of the week, so I'm assuming that that should probably roll through any time now. And then uh, I anticipate us being out there. I anticipate uh, the morning tailgate probably being out there as well. So, Damon, you might be getting the text messages in a little while about uh, running the morning show tomorrow. Just, uh, just a heads up, you know. You're, you're Thank always, you so much. You're always Johnny on the spot. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I just put it on the air. No pressure at all. Nah, Q, I got something I got to do. Nah, nah, everybody heard. Everybody heard the word. No, so there, there's a chance that the morning tailgate will be uh, live from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance there tomorrow, so we'll find out about that. But I did want to get to a couple text messages real quick. Vegas Pete, hit us up at 69187, keyword r I've been very impressed with McDaniel's love of Raider history. He even ran a play for Cliff Branch on Thursday. I think we're in great hands with him and Ziggler. I also hope Parker's injury – I also hope – Parker's injury for Ziggler to trade for another tackle. Well, uh, I never hope that an injury occurs, uh, you know, and if the Raiders decide that they're going to trade for uh, another offensive lineman, I, I think that that's fine. That's a, that's a good idea. Um, I, I wouldn't mind if they went out and just, you know, hire, assign somebody, uh, but I hate that it would have to be because of injury that they have to go make that move, you know. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't think the Raiders' depth is very deep along that offensive line, so I think that they obviously are going to have to pay attention to the waiver wire, pay attention to what's going on around the league, and uh, if there's anybody who's available by way of trade, maybe they do go make that move. Uh, I mentioned Tevin Jenkins out of Chicago. He's been a guy that's been rumored to uh, be possibly on the outside looking in, and he was just drafted, I believe, in, what, round two last year? So he's only, he's only been in the league one year, but Champ Kelly uh, was with the Chicago Bears when they made that move. So if anyone knows anything about Tevin Jenkins, it would be Champ Kelly. So if they decide to go make that move, I would pretty much bet my money that Champ Kelly was the influence behind that. So we'll see. We do not know an update on Brandon Parker yet. There's been a lot of speculation, but our own Vinny Bonsignor put out that the, the speculation of him being put on IR is not accurate. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be put on IR later. That doesn't mean that you know he's not pretty banged up. That means that he's not on IR right now. So take it for what it's worth, but uh, I like to wait until the concrete – uh, you know, the facts come out that, hey, this is what's going on and this is the direction that they're going before I just go ahead and put it out there like that. Um, Big Dub Raiders said, yeah, Q, Jackie Robinson, West Little League from Chicago got their title strip for what DeMond said. That was what you said about uh, about stacking a super team there in Chicago. Man, kid, just let the kids go play, man. You know what they did? You know what it sounds like they did? It sounds like they left some kid on the porch and the coach said, hey, we're going to come pick you up. Don't worry, cut kid. We'll, we'll come get you. And they left that kid on the porch while the game was going on, never to come pick him up. So when his mama got home, he was crying and tears in his eyes because he couldn't play in the damn All-Star game. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say, that, like, yo, little Timmy, you know we love you, but we trying to win the whole thing. And you suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we like you, but we don't like you like that. I think that's what my coach was saying to me. Yeah, Q, we like you, but we don't like you like that. Jason in Maryland said, Monet Davis went on to play softball for my alma mater, Hampton University. There you go. How awesome is that? She made a name for herself in the Little League World Series, and, well, someone else will this year as well, and it'll be cool to talk about. 4.56 is the time. Thanks to all the feedback on the Salmon Ash text line. Of course, the Radio Nation listener line. We'll be back bright and early tomorrow, 7 a.m. with the morning tailgate. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.